Great job on the music, ladies and gents. Great. Some of you signed up for, uh, or didn't sign up in, but are interested in the pro-life apologetics course that I'm offering. And working with Marissa, they have uh, decided they will let us have that class down at the center right here in town. So that will begin May 15th. It's a Wednesday. It'll be four consecutive Wednesdays of about 90 minutes apiece, probably starting around 7. Uh, I'll send out an email to all that signed up to see what time sort of works for you, somewhere between the start time of 5.30 and 7. Seven's the latest we can start uh, so that we can clear out of there by 8.30. So in working with Marissa and the center down there and wanting to be able to offer them that as well, that works best for them, so that, that's good enough for us. This morning our sermon is out of the epistle of Jude as the church has been going through the New Testament epistles. So if you would turn there, and I will read it in its entirety. Jude, a servant of Jesus Christ and brother of James. To those who are called, beloved in God the Father and kept for Jesus Christ, may mercy, peace, and love be multiplied to you. Beloved, although I was very eager to write to you about our common salvation, I found it necessary to write appealing to you to contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. For certain people have crept in unnoticed who long ago were designated for this condemnation, ungodly people who pervert the grace of our God into sensuality and deny our only Master and Lord, Jesus Christ. Now, I want to remind you, although you once fully knew it, that Jesus, who saved the people out of the land of Egypt, afterward destroyed those who did not believe. And the angels who did not stay within their own position of authority but left their proper dwelling, he has kept in eternal chains under gloomy darkness until the judgment of the great day. Just as Sodom and Gomorrah and the surrounding cities, which likewise indulged in sexual immorality and pursued unnatural desire, serve as an example by undergoing a punishment of eternal fire. Yet in like manner, these people also, relying on their dreams, defile the flesh, reject authority, and blaspheme the glorious ones. But when the archangel Michael, contending with the devil, was disputing about the body of Moses, he did not presume to pronounce a blasphemous judgment, but said, The Lord rebuke you. But these people blaspheme all that they do not understand, and they are destroyed by all that they, like unreasoning animals, understand instinctively. Woe to them! For they walked in the way of Cain, and abandoned themselves for the sake of gain to Balaam's error, and perished in Korah's rebellion." These are hidden reefs at your love feasts as they feast with you without fear. Shepherds feeding themselves, waterless clouds swept along by winds, fruitless trees in late autumn, twice dead uprooted, wild waves of the sea casting up the foam of their own shame, wandering stars for whom the gloom of utter darkness has been reserved forever. It was also about these that Enoch the seventh from Adam prophesied, saying, Behold, the Lord comes with ten thousands of his holy ones to execute judgment 
on all and to convict all the ungodly of all their deeds of ungodliness that they have committed in such an ungodly way and of all the harsh things that ungodly sinners have spoken against him. These are grumblers, malcontents, following their own sinful desires. They are loudmouthed boasters showing favoritism to gain advantage. But you must remember, beloved, the predictions of the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ. They said to you, in the last time there will be scoffers following their own ungodly passions. It is these who cause divisions, worldly people, devoid of the Spirit. But you, beloved, building yourselves up in your most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God, waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life, and have mercy on those who doubt. Save others by snatching them out of the fire. To others show mercy with fear, hating even the garment stained by the flesh. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling, and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy. To the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ, our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time, now and forever. Amen. May the Lord keep the seed that is sown this morning in its proper place and give growth to it and fruit. What does God think about those who compromise God's glorious gospel and who likewise compromise the gospel-generated spiritual vitality of His chosen people? The Holy Spirit-inspired authors of the New Testament epistles bear this testimony. And I'm using various translations for these various verses. If anyone teaches a different doctrine and does not agree with the sound words of our Lord Jesus Christ and a teaching that accords with godliness, he is puffed up with conceit and understands nothing. He is in unhealthy craving for controversy and for quarrels about words which produce envy, dissension, slander, evil suspicions, and constant friction among people who are depraved in mind and deprived of the truth, imagining that godliness is a means of gain. Holding faith in a good conscience, by rejecting this, some have made shipwreck of their faith, among whom are Hymenaeus and Alexander, whom I have handed over to Satan, that they may learn not to blaspheme. I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another one. But there are some who trouble you and who want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. That is, let him be damned to hell. As we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. Why don't these agitators, obsessive as they are about circumcision, Go all the way and castrate themselves. Warn a divisive person once and then warn them a second time. After that, have nothing to do with them. You may be sure that such people are warped and sinful. They are self-condemned. Just as Janus and Jambres oppose Moses, so also these teachers oppose the truth. They are men of depraved minds who, as far as the faith is concerned, are rejected but they will not get very far because, as in the case of those men, their folly will be clear to everyone. As potent as those verses are, each is part of a larger text 
and instructional treatise in the respective epistles in which they're found. They certainly give us God's heart on the issue of, of, of gospel compromise. They show up like bullet points in a presentation or like a highlighted sentence in a book. Jude does not contain bullet points. The epistle of Jude is more of a gospel, gospel Moab. You may recall that acronym from the War on Terror, the mother of all bombs. Jude is God's gospel bunker buster, like the mop or massive ordnance penetrator, another 30,000 pound bomb that can penetrate 200 feet of 5,000 per square inch reinforced concrete. And with a litany of colorful negative descriptive that leaves no room for delusion, Jude informs us that we have an extremely loving, extremely intolerant God and tolerance that springs forth from his love. Jude identifies himself as the brother of James, and very likely this James is the half-brother of Jesus. You can study out the scholarly arguments for and against that if you like. Jude, therefore, would also be the half-brother of Jesus. But more important to Jude than his familial half-blood relationship to Jesus is his identity as a servant of Jesus Christ. Now, some of the translations use the term slave of Jesus Christ, and those translations consistently do that throughout the text of the New Testament where the underlying Greek term occurs. That is an unfortunate translation, at least to Western understanding, and it is based on more of a Roman Empire understanding of slave as well. But we are not unwillingly bound against our will to the Lord Jesus Christ or indentured to him as if we are working off a debt. He is not some cruel taskmaster. In the ancient Semitic languages of the Old Testament, a servant is a place of special calling and honor in which the person's identity is bound up in humble and joyful service. Our Lord Jesus described himself as a servant, and therefore, such are we. Now, Jude has a good reason to start writing this epistle. He was very eager to write to the brothers and sisters about the salvation they shared, their common salvation. Have you ever had the experience of reading something in Scripture that just lifts you off your feet and wells you up inside, and you eagerly reach out to a brother and say, hey, look at what God said here. Hey, look, look at what God did here. Isn't the Lord amazing? And the old hymn goes, I love to tell the story for those who know it best are hungering and thirsting to hear it like the rest. Jude may well have been reflecting on Scripture, meditating on the grace of God. Perhaps he was recalling the early days when he did not believe his brother Jesus was the Messiah but that perhaps Jesus was just a few french fries shy of a happy meal. Scripture tells us his brothers and sisters did not believe or understand him, at least not until the resurrection. At some point, Jude was born from above and adopted into the family where Christ became to him a friend that sticks closer than a brother. And perhaps he just wanted to encourage the recipients of the letter and to share his deeply satisfying gospel reflections Things that they too would be happily familiar with. A gospel chat room experience. Their common experience. Despite all other distinctions that come with social and economic conditions. But something happened. Something overwhelmed Jude that put that original plan 
on the back burner. It would have to wait. Back in July or August of 2000, I accompanied some brothers and sisters on a trip to Camp Peña de Areb, a Christian camp and retreat facility in Guadalajara, Spain, about a mile outside of Madrid. It's really hot that time of year in that location, and the sunset was typically 9.45 p.m. at night, so we had very long work days. And we had worked physical labor all week, painting, uh, putting down uh, pavers, landscaping, uh, carpentry, miscellaneous repairs. And it was the end of the week, and we finished the work week at about 6 o'clock that Friday. And so we went to supper, and we're, we're looking forward to perhaps a cool dip in the pool after. And just sort of chilling and talking about our experiences of the week. Things that we had seen the Lord do. Just sharing in the goodness of God. And just as we're finishing supper, anticipating this, the center director came and sat at our table and he says, there is raw sewage leaching out onto the grounds of the camp. So we followed him to a spot where there was a septic exhaust pipe, which prevents underground buildup of dangerous gases. And I'll spare you the details of what was coming out of the pipe. As a group, as a group I'm sorry, we felt compelled to do something about that. <laughs> We felt the necessity of addressing this very pressing issue. For the next two hours, the men, and mind you now, it's about 7 p.m. and it's still hot and we've worked all day and we're armed only with sickles. We had no gas-powered brush cutters. We hacked away at this really dense six to seven foot high briars and thick pickers and brush to locate the lid of the septic tank. We had a sort of general idea where it is based on some rough drawings. So the lid had to be exposed so that the septic pump could come the next day and haul away the overdue load. And all that dense brush and briar had literally grown on the septic tank in its lid. Well, that's what's going on here in the book of Jude. Jude found it necessary, he says, to change his plan. He now had to appeal to them on a different level. The NIV reads, I felt compelled. The New American Standard Bible reads, I felt the necessity. You ever had that time of experiencing? You have the felt necessity of something. Well, thank God for such a God-given, God-timed, God-focused emotion. Jude was compelled to appeal to the brothers and sisters to contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. You have to contend. You have to strive with all your might. You have to wrestle for the glorious gospel of God. Why? Because certain men, certain people had wormed their way into the church. They had crept in unnoticed. But now it was very noticeable to Jude that the teaching was beginning to spread and affect others. Bad company corrupts good character. What kind of bad company are these men who crept in? Jude specifies... 26 characteristics of these men. Recall what I said, this letter is a a gospel Moab. Jude gives written expression to the intolerance of God here. We see just how grossed out God is when people come after his gospel and come after his church. How gloriously and magnificently indignant is our God. And how thankful we are for that. So here is the list. They are sneaky, condemned, Ungodly, abusers of God's grace. Go ahead and sin, you're saved. Christ deniers, dreamers, wild imaginations, living in a fantasy world. Defilers of the flesh, lewd sexual immorality. 
They reject authority, revile angelic beings, despise what they do not understand, have self-destructive instincts, have gone the way of Cain, which is to say sin was crouching at their door, their offerings were unacceptable, they rushed into Balaam's error, which is to say their love for money and their idolatry, they also put upon others, they rebelled as did Korah, who led 250 leaders against Moses, and whom the earth opened up and swallowed, these reject the high priesthood of Jesus. They were hidden reefs. That is, they tear up the hulls of ships. They cared only for themselves. Clouds without water. So they produce none of what clouds are good for. They send no rain. They're apostates. Claim to be teachers. They bring forth nothing beneficial. They can't deliver what they promise. They are fruitless, twice dead trees. They are wild waves casting up filthy foam. Wandering stars. They can't be trusted for navigation. They're grumblers, complainers, fault finders. They follow their own lusts. They're loudmouth boasters. They flatter for gain. They cause divisions. They're worldly minded. Jude is telling it like it is. We ought to do no less today. Recently, the Houston Chronicle and the San Antonio Express News identified 35 Southern Baptist Convention pastors, youth ministers, and volunteers who were convicted of sex crimes or accused of sexual misconduct, but were able to continue working in churches with access to children and youth. In some cases, that led to repeated incidents of abuse in different church communities. They left behind more than 700 victims, many of them shunned by their churches, left to themselves to rebuild their lives. Some were urged to forgive their abusers or to get abortions. <clears throat> Southern Baptist Convention. These defile the flesh. Roman Catholicism, <clears throat> pedophilia, priests fathering children outside of wedlock, nuns made into sexual slaves, denominations performing same-sex unions, denominations blessing abortion, denominations that, dis that deny Christ, prosperity preachers. We don't need to sugarcoat these things. The UCC, the United Churches of Christ, known as the Congregational Church. The Congregational Church has gone the way of Cain. Joel Osteen is worldly-minded. The Roman Catholic Church rejects the authority of God's Word. The Pope is a cloud without water. King James Version only fundamentalism is full of wandering stars. Many preachers who are fruitless, twice-dead trees and are arrogant, loud-mouthed loud boasters. And we should call them that. And we should tell it like it is. The church must contend for the faith. In a moment, we'll see just what that means. And the church is our first concern, not the unbelieving world. First uh, Corinthians chapter 5, verses 9 through 13. First Corinthians 5, 9 through 13. We do well to listen to this passage today and every day. <clears throat> I wrote to you in my letter not to associate with sexually immoral people. Not at all meaning the sexually immoral of this world, or the greedy and swindlers, or idolaters, since you would need to go out of the world. But now I'm writing to you not to associate with anyone who bears the name of brother if he is guilty of sexual immorality or greed, or is an idolater, reviler, drunkard, or swindler. Not even to eat with such a one. For what have I to do with judging outsiders? Is it not those inside the church whom you are to judge? God judges those outside. Purge the evil person from among you. 
we spend an awful lot of time condemning what goes on outside the church. And the church has a reputation, deserved or not, for condemning what goes on outside the church, while, at times, neglecting what goes on inside the church. God makes a clear distinction there, that the church is, first and foremost, we can witness to them, but we can't be harsh with the world. We need to be a lot lovingly harsh with the brethren and the sisterin. Scripture reveals a vivid and ancient history of divine intolerance of those who come against God's desire and actions to form a peculiar people who are zealous for good works. Jude goes all the way back to Genesis and Exodus to support his charge. Jesus led the Egyptians out of slavery and then destroyed thousands and thousands of them because of their unbelief. That's what our God tells us. That Jesus destroyed people, thousands and thousands of them, because they were in the group that called themselves God's people, but weren't God's people. Jesus has imprisoned angels that rebelled against his authority, which is why in the gospel the demons begged them not to be destroyed or cast into the abyss. God destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah for its in-your-face militant and virulent homosexuality. Virulent meaning extremely harmful in its effects and bitterly hostile. Jude continues, reminding them of the great enemies of God and his people from of old, Korah and Balaam and Cain. Yet the text says that these are in the churches of Jude's day and those characters are in the professing churches today. Anyone that names the name of Christ. Jude isn't emphasizing the teaching, right? As much You haven't heard much of their teaching here. Jude is attacking their character. He's going right after their character. Right? Why? Because our actions reveal our deeply held beliefs. We can say we believe whatever we say we want to believe, but our actions tell what we believe. Why is God intolerant? God's presence is among his people to make them holy. Therefore, he does not abide dissent. Recall in 1 Kings 15 that God directed Saul to completely destroy the Amalekites who threatened God's people. Saul did not do it. So God sent Samuel to hack Agag, king of the Amalekites, to pieces and tear the kingdom away from Saul. And the throne ended up, of course, with David. Look at Deuteronomy 23, 12 to 14. These obscure little passages that perhaps you pass over and may not have given much attention to in the past. Deuteronomy chapter 12, I'm sorry, chapter 23, verses 12 to 14. You shall have a place outside the camp and you shall go out to it. And you shall have a trowel with your tools. And when you sit down outside, you shall dig a hole with it and turn back and cover up your excrement. Because the Lord your God walks in the midst of the camp to deliver you and to give up your enemies before you. Therefore, your camp must be holy so that he may not see anything indecent among you and turn away from you. In our day, municipalities post notices requiring dog owners to clean up after their dogs. Here's an example from a sign. Quote, dog waste is a threat to the health of our children, degrades our town, transmits disease. Leash and clean up after your dog. It's required by law. 
Now, if the content of Jude could be reduced to a similar-sized sign, it might read, These men are a threat to the health of our church, degrade our fellowship, shipwreck faith. Leash and clean up these men. It's provided by the gospel. Notice that the law requires, the gospel provides. In Exodus 19 and 1 Peter 2, we read, You are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's own possession that you may proclaim His excellencies. Ephesians 5, Christ loves the church. Christ washed His bride with the word so that He might present the church to Himself in splendor with spot, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing that she might be holy and without blemish. That's why God is intolerant. God's love is the root of which God's intolerant is a fruit. It's the love of intolerance. The love of God that issues forth in intolerance Intolerance for that which diminishes God's glory. For whatever diminishes God's glory also diminishes the church's capacity to see God as God truly is and so be thereby transformed by what is seen. In the gospel, God reveals God's love. Or we could say that in the gospel, God reveals God. In the gospel, we see how God loves God. Now, that would sound utterly selfish and a very poor model to follow were it not for the reality that God exists in three distinct equal persons. The Father loves the Son and shows Him all that He Himself is doing. He elects and gives a body of people to the Son and delights in the Son. The Son loves the Father, obeys everything needful to show how precious the Father is to Him and how precious is the Father's gift, the church that He gives Him. A life of suffering and obedience leading to death by crucifixion. The Father and Son love the Spirit and send the Spirit forth to reveal that love. But even before revealing that in creation, in eternity the Spirit was always rejoicing and showing love by constantly celebrating the love between the Father and the Son. The Holy Spirit expressed love by celebrating love. He does that in the people of God as well. He reveals the love of God in the torture of Jesus, for He causes us to see our sins on Jesus' body. He empowers us to love and to receive God's love. It takes divine power to receive love. He enables us in the gospel accounts to see Jesus who alone can reveal the Father. It's a revelation of love. Importantly now, the love revealed in the gospel is the love that has always existed in eternity past in the inner relationship of God or what Fred Sanders calls the happy land of the Trinity. Jesus is the incarnation of God and the incarnation of the eternal love. The gospel is the exclusive revelation of God's love and therefore of love in general. Without God, love means nothing. Without God, love remains undefined. The history of the world is full of great acts of love, but these combined are not as exhaustive a revelation of love as the love of God revealed in the gospel. Which is why in this letter Jude says, keep yourselves in the love of God. More to follow on that. So what these people and what these men are doing is against God's love. Their character denies God's love and deprives others of God's love. Their character provokes God's intolerance. God will not tolerate this in the church. Jude knows this. Not only does he know it, God's love and intolerance have also become Jude's love and intolerance. 
That is why he felt it necessary to appeal to them, to defend the faith once for all, delivered to the saints. Don't be surprised in your walk that the God instinct you are born again with takes over. That's supposed to happen. We're supposed to be passionate. We should hate what goes on in the churches. We should hate what goes on in the churches that in some way takes away from the love of God and sends a wrong message and communicates poor character. And we don't have to... We don't have to treat it pretty. We've got an example here in Jude where we can literally drop the bomb that needs to be dropped on the kind of filth that puts its forth self as love and gospel. So how was, is the church to contend? How are we to contend for the faith? By faith. By faith, we contend for the faith. Faith is, minimally, faith is Knowledge plus belief plus action. Okay? Faith is knowledge plus belief plus action. Jude says, contend for the faith by building yourselves up in your most holy faith. You can't contend for the faith if you are not built up in your most holy faith. We need to strengthen our spiritual immune system. People often take airborne or other such vitamin C boosters, right, to jack up the immune system when they know they're going to be exposed to people with colds or flus and viruses. The, the immune system is that process in our bodies we have for fighting against biological invaders that don't belong there. <clears throat> so you need, you need the gospel. I need the gospel. Think accurately about God. Don't allow yourselves to become spiritually stupid. I suppose there are many spiritually stupid churches and professing Christians who are spiritually stupid. Just as in Jude's day. Now, don't be taken back by my use of that term. To be stupid is to show a great lack of intelligence or common sense. To be spiritually stupid is to show a great lack of spiritual intelligence and spiritual common sense. This results from not loving God with all the mind. You cannot love what you do not know and what you do not believe. You can't love it. We have the mind of God in the Scripture. Therefore, we have the resources to be spiritual geniuses, metaphorically speaking. I'm not talking about simply raw knowledge of facts, but intimacy with God. And how do you build up anything? Well, the instruction assumes you have a foundation. So keep building and putting on additions. If you don't want to be a victim of perilous fantasy which is what we see going on in the churches all across America and the world, everywhere. We tend to think in terms of churches, of the only churches that exist are these solid, reformed, new covenant grace churches. We're in the minority. And no, they may not be the true church, but they call themselves the true church. Every time the news comes out, they talk about the church being Roman Catholicism. Roman Catholicism is not the church. And it's certainly a good argument could be made that they're not even a church, but that's a fight we'll save for another day. So if you want to make sure you don't become a victim of this perilous fantasy, make sure you consistently expose yourself to and meditate on reality. <clears throat> the gospel is not just an opinion among other opinions or a religion among world religions. Everything that contradicts scriptural Christianity is false and damnable. Jesus said, 
this is eternal life, that you know God and Jesus Christ whom he has sent. Don't be distracted by the world. That leads to worldliness. Ask God to deliver you from Sunday morning onlyism. Pray in the Holy Spirit. This is not speaking in tongues. It's a prayer life grounded in, shaped by, informed by Scripture. Build yourselves up in your most holy faith becomes walking in the Spirit, which has as a defining feature, praying in the Spirit. Speaking with God. Listening to God in His Word. Now, brothers and sisters, I don't want to offend you. But please be careful with, quote, God spoke to my heart. And with, quote, God told me to do thus and such statements. If by those statements you mean that gospel kingdom meditating and praying and singing generates a godly desire you want to pursue, great. But that is not the same thing as, quote, love not the world or the things of the world, end quote. That is God speaking. If you have a a scripture-triggered passion to do this or that form of ministry... That does not rise to the level of command. God only speaks directly and commands through Scripture. Only. He does not speak through feelings. Though, of course, He uses feelings to respond to His direct speaking in the Word. And God does not give some secret holy nudge that you're obliged to obey. Don't do that to yourselves. And certainly don't do it to other people. Because God spoke to my heart and God told me to do thus and such statements may lead to interpersonal conflict and inner tension. Because who is anyone to challenge you if God told you to do thus and such? Jude mentions people who rely on dreams and who rejected authority. These things could unintentionally be a form of that kind of error. And if you need to understand that distinction better, then speak to other eloquent brothers and sisters who are competent in the scriptures here in the church. And then keep yourself in the love of God. Well, that's an inevitable product of building yourself up in the Holy Faith and praying in the Holy Spirit. With all that I just said about love. Meditate on the sufferings of Jesus. Sufferings that he endured for the joy set before him. Part of that joy was the prospect of fully securing the redemption of those the Father gave to the Son. You are part of his joy. Here in his love. Not that we loved God, but that God loved us and sent His only Son, Jesus Christ, to be the wrath absorber for our sins. Wait for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ. It is His mercy that finally brings us to the zenith of our redemption experience. Our regenerate souls joined to our resurrected bodies, which will be like His glorious body, and thereby fitting us for eternity in the presence of His glory. So, that's contending part A, the individual in the church's spiritual vigor. Only then can we contend part B, Reaching out to those who are impacted by corrupt character and corrupt teaching. And what colorful phraseology Jude scratches out. Have mercy on those who doubt. Don't be impatient with them. After all, doubt can be a very positive part of a growing faith. If you have doubt, doubt can be a very positive Don't you condemn yourself over doubt. Doubt is not the opposite of faith. Unbelief is the opposite of faith. Doubt may come from unrealistic expectations that are not realized. They don't come to pass. So when John the Baptist doubted, as he did, and sent his disciples to determine if Jesus really was the Messiah, 
Jesus did not condemn John the Baptist's doubt. Rather, he said to the disciples, Tell John, the blind receive sight, the lame walk, the dead are raised. See, because that's what you can expect from the Messiah. Because that's what was written. That's what was prophesied. We have even more. We have the cross and the resurrection of Jesus. And when we have emotional doubt, we need to fall back on the facts. And when we have intellectual doubt, we need to look at the evidence. The corruption of the men Jude speaks of would certainly give rise to unrealistic expectations, which would then lead to doubt when expectations are not met. So have mercy on those who are doubting. Others we have to snatch out of the fire. They're in danger of God's judgment. This is a rescue mission. Spiritually, they're in a, they're in a place where they may indeed be burned and suffer various, uh, serious spiritual, uh, spiritual harm. Others will, in a manner of speaking, gross us out in the process of spiritual rescue. There are brothers and sisters out there who sin and the things that they're involved in ought to just gross us out. And we've got to approach it very carefully with mercy and fear. Scripture says we need to be merciful and fearful. They are contaminated by false teaching and corrupt character and they may contaminate others. It's controlled panic time. Now, if you're a parent... You have had or will have sick children. Sometimes kids are just tired and have a slight cold and are a bit uncomfortable and you just need to snuggle with them. And they're fine. Other times they may have a fever and are really lethargic. And this requires medicine every four to six hours and regularly taking their temperature to make sure they're improving. And if they're, quote, burning up over 104 degrees, they need to get to the hospital. And then there are those awful times when the child just starts vomiting. Showing mercy without fear, you pick up the child straight-armed, keeping them as far away from you, the potential unintended target, as possible, rushing for the bathroom so that you don't become contaminated, hating even their garments soiled by the flesh. That is contending. I was thinking also of Todd and Joycelyn. The stories I've heard about blight and insects and that endanger the crop and what happens when frost threatens and they need to awake at all kinds of odd hours at the night and get onto the orchard with horticultural rescue methods that are extreme, dragging themselves into church exhausted and even injured. That's contending. See, contending for the faith is an exercise in spiritual exertion that we're all called to. And in the process, we're exposed to pretty dark stuff. And that's why we talk to our own souls about God's triune, supreme rule over the human spirit. God governs the inner person. God reigns there in total command. Jude discerned the forces of darkness that threatened to eclipse the light of God's love and glory. He immediately went to fight mode. And although he doxologizes here at the end of the letter, I suspect it was actually his first line of defense. Family of God, you would do well to memorize these two verses. This is God shouting out to the enemy of our souls, You shall not pass! And just striking the staff of the gospel directly in the path of the encroaching evil specter. God is able to keep you from stumbling. You stumbling fools, all of us. God is able to keep us from that final stumbling and to present us blameless before the presence of His glory with great joy. 
Not just to present us blameless before His presence, but blameless before the presence of His glory. With great joy, God's glory could cause the universe to retreat and hide if it were able to. God's glory caused fear and trembling in the Old Testament. And when Jesus returns, those who would not obey the gospel will beg the rocks to fall on them at the glorious presence of Christ and His wrath. But brethren, we don't have that fear. God's glory is our great anticipation. We're only discontent in this life at times because His glory is somewhat hidden owing to the remaining stain. We long for full exposure to His unfiltered glory. And it will be with joy, with nothing to fear. Amazing love, how can it be? Behold the Lamb of God. You will run to Him, not away from Him. We'll jump head first into His glory, fearlessly, with every redeemed nerve ending responding to His glorious stimuli. Be awesome. Streams of mercy never ceasing to our only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Glory, authority, majesty, dominion. O come, Lord Jesus. Amen. Let's pray. Our Father, in the intercession of Jesus, our great high priest, receive our gospel, faith, and obedience. We offer it such as it is. Take pleasure in it. Delight in it. You have brought it about. Cleanse the remaining pollution. Grant us spiritual senses trained to discern right from wrong and evil from good. Fit us for the task, God, of gospel contention, that we may love what you love and be intolerant of what you are intolerant of. Amen. Amen. Let's stand for.